Welcome to episode 22, where I talk to Pam Garamone about finding a hot lesbian, her four silver bullets to being more happy and finding more happiness, and then I wrap it all up at the end while I enjoy a beautiful Pinot Noir. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. Americans are taught that we all have certain unalienable rights. It's written right there in the pages of our Declaration of Independence. We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's something about that line that has always gotten to me, though. It's the word pursuit, a word which means an effort to secure or attain. I think of that word as having movement. Like if we don't keep pursuing happiness, it might slip through our fingers. It's something we always have to keep working on. It's not an end state. It's an ongoing effort. So if happiness or the pursuit thereof is one of our unalienable rights, how are we doing with it? some 200 plus years after the writing of that line. How are we doing with the whole pursuit of happiness thing? Well, research suggests that we aren't doing so great. A new NORC poll drawing on trends from the long-running general social survey finds Americans are less likely to call themselves very happy than at any point since that survey began back in 1972. Not surprising, right? With all the things going on in the world today, not the least of which is a global pandemic, but the truth is, we've been unhappy for a while now. In March 2019, a full year before there was even a hint of an upcoming pandemic, the World Happiness Report, which is released to coincide with the United Nations International Happiness Day, stated that Americans are as unhappy as they've been in years. For the third straight year in a row, the U.S. has dropped in the happiness rankings. So how do we right this ship? How do we Bobby McFerrin our lives and start finding happiness? And don't worry, be happy. I don't know. But lucky for you, our guest today does. Pam Garamone is a positive psychology speaker and coach teaching the science of happiness to anyone who wants to learn. Hello. Hi there. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. I'm going to like give a little narration for the listeners. I saw Pam speak at a National Speakers Association meeting. It was the first time I'd ever been introduced to her. And not even halfway through her presentation, I had emailed her and said, <laughs> you have to be on my podcast because everybody needs Pam in their lives. Like you were just <laughs> lively and you were so fun. And at the end, you joked you were looking for love. You were going to pass around a thing to sign up if anybody knew. What did you say? Hot women looking for love? And I was like, that's me. I, I'm a hot woman. I'm looking for love. And then I realized I'm heterosexual and I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because I've said compassionate. I've said kind. But the only really the laugh is hot. And I don't know why. I'm not sure why, but I don't think I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. 
I'm just going to jump right into it. I've introduced you as a positive psychology speaker and coach. So can you define that? What is positive psychology? Yeah. Positive psychology is the science of happiness. And I always say, or how to be happier. And it really became, got, I think, mostly on the world stage when Tal Ben-Shahar, who was a professor at Harvard, taught positive psychology, how to be happier. And he became famous because more students at Harvard wanted to learn how to be happy than any other subject in the history of Harvard University. So he ends up becoming famous. He's on all the talk shows and Oprah and, you know, people were fascinated that this was such a, was even a thing. And then one of the funny stories Tal tells when he was on all these talk shows, when the cameras would go off, the host would often say, we thought you'd be happier. And you know why? Because he's an introvert. And people think happiness is, oh, total extrovert, but it's really an inside job. And they're really only, you know, how happy you are. It's funny you say you don't know if people are truly happy or not. A period of my life where I went through a severe, you know, anxiety, crippling anxiety and anxiety and depression go hand in hand. And I wrote about it in my book that the doctor said that I had to go see someone. I had to go to a therapist. And I remember thinking to myself that I was a real asshole because if you looked at my life on the surface, I had a great job making great money. I am married to my soulmate. I owned two homes. On the surface, I looked like what people wanted to have. And yet, I was so unbelievably unhappy for a certain period of time and I couldn't get happy. I didn't know how to get happy. So I think that probably happens to a lot of people. It's so interesting because Sean Acor, who was Tall's teaching assistant at Harvard, when he was interviewed by Oprah, he has great TED Talks. I encourage anyone to check them out. And he came out to Oprah is suffering from depression and Tall himself suffered from depression. And that's what got him on this journey of positive psychology. So, yeah, I think people seek what they need. And so you I just know Tall and Sean Acor both have had suffered from depression and found science based things you can do every day to increase your own happiness and well-being. And that's what they teach. And that's the course in the program I was in. And I wasn't say I was depressed, but I definitely wasn't happy. What are those things that we can do every day to increase the possibility of us being happy on a daily basis. Yeah, I think there's such simple things that every single person knows about and they don't take long. So the one thing I always say that took me from a four or five on the happiness ladder to a seven or eight consistently is three good things. So at the end of the day at night, when I go to sleep, I have a journal I would run through my day and write down at least three good things that happened in the last 24 hours. It doesn't have to stop at three. But when you look through your day, you start to see that, oh, wow, this good thing happened, this happened, this happened, that you wouldn't notice if you didn't look for it. 
And before that, I would go to bed and I kept a journal and I wrote down all the ways I wasn't good enough, all the ways other people were better than me. Everybody else was up here and I was down here. And Mark Twain has a great quote, which is comparison is the death of joy. So if you want to be miserable, that's a surefire path. And so before I kept a journal, it turns out the worst thing you can do right before bed is write down all the negative things. So three good things is looking through your day and just write down all the good things that were in your day. And for me, that changed everything. And I've been doing that for six years now. Also, it's good to know the research shows that keeping a journal and writing down the traumas and stresses and things that make you anxious or the the hardships is a good thing during the day. So having a journal where you express hard feelings, tough things actually makes you happier and less anxious, less stressed, and actually physically healthier. People think, oh, positive psychology, I got to be happy all the time now, but that's a myth. Really, it's to feel all your emotions. So a lot of people are feeling anxious right now. So just be with that. What is it that's causing me to be anxious right now? And notice, I don't know if you, have you heard of Susan David? She wrote a book called Emotional Agility. And she basically says our emotions are data. And so if if you feel lonely or sad, for example, that's information that leads you towards your value. So your value might mean you value social connection and you don't have it right now. And so you're feeling sad or lonely. And then, okay, well, what action can I take to help me live my values in this case. And so I'm curious about your emotions, not deny or repress them, but to feel them and be compassionate and curious about them. So it's feeling all emotions, whatever they are. You seem to know a lot about teachers and you've been following this journey for six years. What was your catalyst for learning about this in such a you know, deep state and also continuing on something for six years. That's a long time to be journaling your happiness. Yeah. Well, I think like a lot of people, I wasn't happy at the time when I got on this journey. And like I said, I wasn't depressed, but for me, I wasn't happy in my job anymore. I had been doing the same job for 16 years And I was just kind of bored with it. And I didn't see a way out because by then I was making enough money that it's hard to leave. Mm -hmm. And I felt stuck. And I was in a relationship that I just, I wasn't present for because I wasn't happy in my own self. And I was losing that because I didn't, I just felt lost and stuck. Mm -hmm. And then I was reading the Boston Globe and on the front page is this article about this Harvard professor and he's teaching a class on how to be happier. And I'm thinking, I want to learn how to be happier. How do I get to take that course? And fortunately, Tal left Harvard and started the Whole Being Institute where I got to study with him for almost a year. And that got me on this journey of these just small things you can do every day. It just changes the way you look at things. And that changes everything. 
what's your advice for somebody like and I think a lot of people are like I'm going to be happy when I'm going to be I'll be happy if I make this much money I'll be happy if I lose this much weight and I've been there in my life like I'll be happy when I make this much money and then I made that much money and I wasn't any happier and then Mm -hmm. I was like when I was marathon running I was constantly chasing a new PR and I was like oh I'll be happy when I do that marathon in in 345 and then I did that and that was never enough so what is your what's the advice to the people who say I'll be happy when yeah it's just how we're wired right everybody does it And truth is you are happier when you reach that goal for a little bit. So the research shows that we have a happiness set point and you get the car of your dreams and you do feel happier. The job of your dreams, the raise, the promotion, the run time you want, you do get a spike in happiness and it lasts for whatever. It could last for weeks, it could last for a few months, but then you go right back down to your set point of happiness. And the things that change that are just, again, being grateful for the things you have and really feeling it. Because a lot of times people say, oh, I tried a gratitude list, but I never felt any happier, right? And that's because you kept a list and you wrote, I'm so grateful for my husband, my car, my house, food, kids, my job. And you just write a list. What you really need to do is actually feel that gratitude when you're writing it down. And it has to be specific if you're going to do a gratitude journal, which is highly recommended. I remember you mentioning in the presentation that there are happiness boosters. Yeah. And you mentioned, and this was music to my ears because I'm obviously a networking coach and my thing is all about connecting people. You said that social connections are one of the number one happiness boosters. What's the studies behind if we're more socially connected, we're happier? It is the number one happiness booster and the number one factor in being resilient. We need people and it doesn't have to be an intimate marriage or partner, but we need people to laugh with, cry with, to do fun things with, to talk about our struggles with, to express things with. And all of the research shows the people who live the longest, the happiest, the best marriages, the healthiest people, the most successful people have the most social connections. We need people. It's just we're hardwired for it. We're social beings, even introverts. We all need people. And so that's what makes this so hard is how do we connect with people when we can't be externally social, you know, and Tal was just interviewed a few days ago and somebody said like, how, how do we do this? And he said, you you have to make it intentional. You have to make it like every day I'm going to connect with two people and whether it's zoom or phone call, or even writing a card or a letter, like at old school, you know, who doesn't love to still get a card or a letter in the mail? I'm big into writing letters. Thank you cards. Thinking of you cards. When I give keynotes on networking and business development, I always say that 11% of emails are opened, but a hundred percent of thank you cards. Uh, and they yeah. make such an impact. And the research shows that when you write a thank you card, you actually get as much out of writing a thank you card as the person who receives it. Yes. Yeah. It's like giving a compliment to somebody. You feel good and they feel good. Only though, if they actually receive it, 
one of the happiness boosters is appreciating and valuing other people. So noticing their strengths, telling them uh, their strength in context or complimenting someone. But we all know how to receive a compliment. We've been taught as kids, what are we supposed to say? Thank you. But how many of us do? Most of the time we say something like, ah, really? If somebody gave you a physical gift, you would never give it right back to them. And that's what you do when you don't receive and take in the compliment. I get it. I'm a constant rebuffer, like a butter. Like if somebody says something nice about me, I'm like, yeah, but you know, I got this going on, you know, like. Yeah, but then it doesn't feel good to the giver because you're rejecting it. But if you give someone a compliment and they say, thank you, that was my grandmother's blueberry pie recipe. It means a lot to me that you like it. That feels so much better than, oh yeah, I just whipped it together. No big deal. Right. Right. So So praising people and giving them compliments and not just saying, hey, great job, Jules, you know, because that does feel good for about two seconds. But if someone were to say to you about your podcast or your keynote or your style, something specific that's a strength, you're going to remember that for a long time and really feel good about it. Was it Maya Angelou who said people might not remember what you say, but they remember how you make them feel? Yeah. Yeah. And how, and that's by being specific about their strengths. Like if somebody says to me, oh, that was a great talk. That feels good. But if you tell me that something I said made you change something in your life or that you actually practiced it and it helped you in your relationship or something, that feels lastingly good. Like that really feels good. If we've got happiness boosters about writing down what you're grateful for, giving praise and accepting praise. Is there another booster that people can put in their arsenal of things? Yeah. Thank you for asking that because another thing that's made a huge difference for me is I am. Anything that follows I am most of the time, it's critical, self-critical, or it's negative. But if you follow the words I am with an empowering word, your brain tries to make that come true. So a great activity in positive psychology called ideal self. And what you do is you think of people you admire, someone that you know, could be your dad, your aunt, uncle, whatever. And you write down four to six words that describe that person characteristics. So it might be talented, organized, funny, whatever. And so you write down four to six words. And then think of someone you don't know that you admire, like Oprah, and write four to six words that describe that person. So you'll have a list of eight to 12 words. And then in front of every one of those words, you write, I am. I am talented. I am a leader. I am organized, whatever it is. And right away, your negativity bias will kick in and it'll be like, but I'm not. But it's called ideal self because it means you're telling your brain, this is who you want to show up as. This is who you want to be. And your brain will work to make that a reality. And the last part of ideal self is one sentence. I am and all your words. So before any talk I give... I say my I am, I am upbeat, positive, optimistic, happy, friendly, funny, intelligent, articulate, confident, and inspiring. 
And it doesn't mean I'm already those things. It means I'm telling my brain, this is who I need to show up as to be a peak performer. Hmm. And your brain will make happen whatever follows I am. So I think that's so powerful. I read this book called Atomic Habits. And he said a very similar thing that if you want to become something, you have to say that you are already it. So if you want to do a couch to 5K and you've never run before, you actually have to say to yourself, I am a runner. It Mm -hmm. can't be, I want to be a runner. You have to say, I am a runner. And that empowers your brain to go for a run. And it, it happened with other things. Like if you want to be a guitar player, you need to say to yourself, I am a guitar player. Doesn't matter how bad I am. I am a guitar player. And that creates a habit of doing it because once you've convinced yourself that you are it, you are more likely to do it over and over again. So we've got, write it down. We've got give praise and accept praise. And then we have this creating the words that describe your ideal self and saying them to yourself. Are there any other There's a whole bunch, but the one I would highly recommend is a new research by Kelly McGonigal out of Stanford University. She just wrote a new book called The Joy of Movement. And she says the one thing that will change your life is every day movement, by the way, so exercise, but in particular in her research, it's dancing. (laughs) <laughs> 10 minutes of listening to your favorite song. Like everybody has a power song that lights you up, you know, gives you the chill. You're like, yeah. You know. I can't believe you just said that because after your podcast airs, the next one is an introduction to the confidence series. And I just put on LinkedIn today and on Instagram to tell me your power song. Yeah. Mine is JLo's Mega Mix. I love it. Every time I hear that, I'm like pumped, you're smiling. And so in Kelly McGonigal's research, if you dance for 10 minutes a day and then certain moves like keeping the beat, snapping your fingers, clapping, stomping your feet, which is lifting them up off the floor, swaying. You did these for just five minutes. If you danced for, if you turn the music on, you're going to get a rush of endorphins. It feels amazing. Yeah. I was just doing research on sort of what music does to mood and the correlation between mood and music. And they said the best music is ones that have a heavy bass that you feel mm-hmm. in your body. And of course, Queens, We Will Rock You is like the number oh. one for that. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know this conversation was going to go in this direction because I just started the research on confidence through music. I'm so excited that you said that. I said in the preview that happiness seems so hard because you constantly have to be working at it. I feel like that's a fleeting feeling. Like, you have to work at it all the time. You have to want you have to want to be happy and you have to work at being happy. But it's not an end game. It's not an end destination. Okay, now I'm happy. I'm good. You know, it's not because there's always going to be hard things happening. You you could be ha- reach your happy point and then you lose your job or right. someone dies. I mean, so that's why it's feeling the full range of emotions. You know, you get to feel rage, jealous, resentment, sadness, anxiety, and joy. And we can hold all of these at the same time. It's not one or the other. You can be sad and grateful. 
Mm-hmm. So we all know people who do seem to be happier more of the time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they don't ever have hard stuff. But 40% of how happy we are, are these practices that you could do, and they only take five minutes a day to think of something you're grateful for, to dance, mm-hmm. you know, to make it your intention to smile, make it your intention to laugh every day. You yeah. know, kids laugh 400 times a day. I, I have no idea how they get this research. <laughs> and as adults think, how many times do you laugh in the day? You know, it's not going to be 400. Any last words of advice for people going into 2021, coming out of a really hard year? Yeah, I think really it's acknowledging it was hard. You know, and if you feel sad or anxious or tired or overwhelmed, yeah, you should have. I mean, that makes sense, right? It was a hard year. And just acknowledge and maybe look back. And before you shut the door on this year, notice what did you learn, you know, and who do I want to be going forward? Mm -hmm. What did I learn from this year about who I am? Do I need more people around me? Do I need more social connection? And how do I get that? If people like me hearing you today are like, I need more Pam, how do they get more (laughs) Pam? Where can they find you? Anyone that you feel would benefit from a conversation around positive psychology, pamgaramon.com. Follow me on Instagram and all of the social media as well. All right. And I'll put links to every single one of those uh, in the show notes. Okay. All right. Thanks, Pam. You are awesome. I love your energy. You, I love what you're doing. So thank you so much for inviting me to participate. It was fun. You're welcome. I'm so glad you came. Yay. (laughs) So did you love Pam? Remember, She's in a good place, she's happy, and she's looking for a hot single female if you are one or if you know one. Find her at pamgaramone.com. So what did we learn here today from Pam? Well, we learned that there are a number of silver bullets to finding more happiness. One would be gratitude and finding things to be grateful for. I'm not one for beating a dead horse, and I think we covered gratitude enough in the last podcast, and I'm not going to tell you that you need to become a gratitude journalist So I'm just going to leave that one right there. Use that bullet if it serves you. Social connections, which she said is the most important bullet and I believe it. So what can we do in the coming year to strengthen our social connections? To be there for the people in our lives because they mean so much to our health and our happiness. Movement. For five minutes a day, blast your power ballad and dance like no one is watching. Become the dancer that too much tequila will make you believe that you are. And speaking of believing something, we also learned about the I am statement. Using the sentence I am followed by all the things you want to be, which helps your brain believe all those things about you. Want to see me do it? I believe that I am about to enjoy this big fat glass of Pinot Noir that I just poured. When I asked Pam what her favorite drink was, she told me that her absolute favorite drink was a smoothie. And I'm like, yeah, me too, when it's a mudslide. Now, what's your real favorite drink? And she admitted that she really likes Pinot Noir. Ah, Pinot Noir. The fickle grape made famous by the movie Sideways. The movie that destroyed Merlot sales and made Pinot Noir way too fucking expensive. 
Today, I'm enjoying the Four Graces Pinot Noir from Willamette Valley, Oregon. I visited this winery ages ago, like more than a decade ago, and fell in love with the story that the owner named the vineyard the Four Graces after his four daughters. It's amazing that this wine, this earthy, tannic red wine, is the same exact grape that we enjoyed in last week's episode when we had the Blanc de Noir sparkling wine. Same grape, but two totally different outcomes depending on how it was treated. Hmm. I'm sure there's a metaphor in here somewhere, but I'm not going to go searching for it. I'm just going to tell you that I wish you much happiness in 2021. And in preparation for next week's episode on the power of music to affect our mood, I'm going to go blast Good as Hell by Lizzo and dance around my living room like no one's watching, except for the dogs. I'll see you next week. Cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.